Hello and welcome to episode 25 of the Telling the Story podcast. This is the audio branch of the Telling the Story blog at tellingthestoryblog.com. A look at how journalists and all of us reach the world. I am Matt Pearl, author of the Telling the Story blog and a reporter at NBC in Atlanta. We've hit the quarter century mark. It's huge. And my guest today is a friend, a confidant, and a very talented photographer out of Asheville, North Carolina, the Portland of the East. He's a seven-time Emmy Award winner and the assistant chief photojournalist at WLOS-TV, John Kirtley. Welcome to the Telling the Story podcast. Thank you so much for having me, man. I've been a, a big fan of this podcast ever since you started it, and it's an honor to be a part of it. Well, it's an honor to have you here, John. And, you know, we, we talk a lot. We, we have so many conversations, just the two of us, about news and storytelling. And I wanted to start straight off by asking you, what is the biggest storytelling moment that you've had in the last six months? Ooh, um, let's see. The big, biggest storytelling moment I've had in the past six months. I got to say, uh, we were working on a story uh, down in South Carolina uh, on this fella who's a biology teacher, professor, and uh, is also a world-class cyclist, and um, he is missing an arm. His father actually uh, ran him over with a lawnmower when he was a child, oh and um, yeah, it's a re- really uh, insane story, but when I saw that guy throw his gear on and hop onto that bike and just hit the road like it was nothing. Um, my mind was blown. And what did you do as a photojournalist to capture that? Well, I just tried to make it be as natural as possible. Um, I, I didn't, I didn't want him to feel like he was having to do anything for me. Um, you know, of course we threw some microphones on him and things like that. But other than that, we said, Hey man, go pretend we're not here. Um, I've got a car. I can get ahead of you if I need to. Um, I think one of the, one of the, one of the things that made the story so powerful was that, um, being, we were shooting a lot of it with the GoPro because we were following him around with the car. Um, that made it tough to capture audio, but I put a microphone on him and a lav mic on him and, uh, hit record on my big camera to, kind of capture the um what it was the audio of what it was really like out there for him um i think that made it really powerful those breaths um it really took you there is that tough to make natural because and make natural almost sounds like an oxymoron too because it should just be natural right you shouldn't have to make it that but you know you're out there you're doing a story on this guy and you're telling him just to ride his bike which he might not be doing normally, probably wouldn't be doing necessarily unless you were there. And I know, you know, you, much like myself, we both work on a lot of feature stories where you're going to people's homes and basically talking to them and putting them in situations that they're not normally used to. Mm-hmm. And it's a real difficult skill to kind of kind of make it make the make the subject of the story seem comfortable and find that natural way to do it where it doesn't look strange on television right well I, I i think that's the biggest part of uh visual storytelling uh you've got to make these folks feel comfortable um my biggest piece of advice to everyone always is to you know 
don't change who you are when you pick up your camera or your microphone. You know, be the same human being you are at all times. Like, you don't have to play reporter or play photographer. Um, you know, shoot the breeze with these folks. I'm not saying you have to become best friends with them, but, you know, <laughs> if you naturally start to develop a relationship with them, I think that's fine. And I think that's going to lead to um, everyone being more comfortable and these powerful moments, you know, falling in, into place a lot more easily. Now, of course, it's different when you have actual time to build a relationship. And so many people, I would say most reporters don't have that luxury, right? You're in a situation where you might be doing a feature, but you've got to turn it in, you know, seven, eight hours if you're lucky. Yeah, sure. But I mean, even the, even the two minutes where you're setting up, you know, you're, there, there's no reason to like immediately just like blast a light in the guy's face or something like that. You, you can, you can comment on the, uh, you know, like the Duke championship poster he has on the wall or, or whatever, you know, <laughs> like, um, whatever you see that's naturally interesting to you. Why not, why not talk about that for a minute? One thing I always do, you mentioned lighting and, you know, I, I, sh I report, but I shoot my own stories and usually I'm kind of the one who's doing both things, right? Like kind of orchestrating that conversation, but also setting up my lighting for an intimate interview like that. And I always say when I, when I'm about to turn the light, I'm, I always give them a heads up. Mm -hmm. I was like, listen, this is going to be a little bright, but don't worry. You don't have to look at it. And I feel like you gotta, when those kind of unnatural moments are going to happen, you almost have to head them off at the pass and let the person know that, Hey, I get that it's strange. Right. Yeah, exactly right. Because that's a, that's a human thing to do. And our goal should be to be humans. I like that. Do you have that on your desk? Our goal is to be human. <laughs> yeah, I should do that. It's tough. I, I feel like that's one of the big things I know as a, as a solo journalist, it's very difficult because I'm keeping track of so many things in my head while I'm in the field mm -hmm. and not just the, you know, how am I making sure that my equipment is ready and making sure the lighting's right and all these things, but I'm also trying to generate ideas and writing and, and trying to keep cohesive thoughts in my head, but there's so many going around. And I think where a lot of people, especially early on before they have the confidence and really know their gear and know their equipment and know their timeline of how long it takes them to do things, they kind of, they get a little rattled by having to deal with all of that. And when you're rattled, it's difficult to be natural. And then, mm -hmm. By that token, it's difficult to uh, enable your subject to be natural with that. Sure. Well, look, man, I, I, no one says this is easy. You know, if it were easy, the world of storytelling wouldn't be such a unique thing. Um, <laughs> it's, it's practice. You know that. You just got to you got to keep, you know, working on improving a little detail each time. And eventually you're going to get to the point where it, where it all adds up and uh, you're ready to hit those home runs. And, you know, you can make everyone feel comfortable. You can capture the images. Uh, you can think about your theme. But, you know, I'm sure you know it's not easy. It's really not. And it's, it's easy to uh, forget something while you're out there and uh, make those mistakes. But then you get back to the edit bay and hopefully <laughs> you, that leaves a lasting impression and you don't make that mistake next time. What's a time when you forgot something? Oh lord! And you got back to the edit bay, and we're like, "Oh man, how did I?" How did well, I, I forget that? to get I forget to get tight shots like every single day. Really? <laughs> <laughs> or enough tight shots? Yeah. 
I feel yeah. like it's usually the other way around. I feel like I feel like especially young journalists, they're all about uh, getting the tight shots, right. and they always forget to come out wide and, and show me where I actually am in the story. Right, right. No, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I, 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 those super tight shots, I mean, they just get you out of so many holes and, and, and trouble, and sometimes I feel like I, uh, like, how did I not shoot that? It's so obvious. You know, 10 years into my career or whatever this is now, and uh, you know, still forget obvious things sometimes because it's a lot. It's a lot. It's not yeah. easy. I always find that even when I think I've overshot, mm-hmm. I've undershot. <laughs> you know, yeah. I shot yeah. a story the other day, and, uh, and I'm very excited for it. I, I've just finished editing it, and I think it's one of my better ones. But it involved shooting someone painting a mural, mm-hmm. and I was there for about two and a half hours, just absolutely blowing out the shoot with every single angle and shot that I could find and darn it if I didn't use every last one of those shots <laughs> in the piece yeah and I can't well, tell you how many times that happens yeah sure sure well I'll look forward to seeing this piece now you got me excited <laughs> but yeah I do feel like I feel like it's one of those things and I think Ira Glass at NPR had the quote that any kind of artist when they start down the path of becoming an artist is doing work that does not meet their standards. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, especially if you want to be a news reporter, you've probably developed some kind of inspiration for who you'd like to model your career after. You watch TV news and you know what you want to emulate. And for the first couple of years, it's tough to really kind of get to the point where you feel like you're hitting the ball out of the park on a regular basis. You mm-hmm. really kind of, and, and I, and I don't know that that totally ever goes away. I'm sure every package you've done, there's like three or four things when you watch them later on that you feel like you could change or make better. Mm-hmm. But definitely when you're starting out, mm-hmm. it is tough to really feel like you're at the point that you want to be. Yeah. And I, I don't think you should ever get to that point really. Or, you know, you should always be trying to get better, you know? Um, you know, the the best journalists in my newsroom are the ones who are still watching other people's work. They're still um, studying the craft. And, you know, like, for instance, my partner in crime, John Lee, who's, you know, one of the better writers in the country. Excellent reporter and, and many, many Emmys and awards yeah. to his credit as well. Mm-hmm. And he watch, he watches more stories of other people's work than anyone else in our newsroom but he's already our best like you know what I mean like don't stop I I I think most any uh of the best storytellers in the country don't stop they don't get complacent you know John it was funny because you said that you've been doing this about 10 years and I've been in the business around 12 so we entered right around the same time and I know for me one of the really frustrating things about my first job was feeling like, not that I was the best in the building, but that there were so few places to look for inspiration for really great storytelling. Mm-hmm. I was in market 144, and I was surrounded by talented people, but, you know, you want to reach that next level, and you mm-hmm. want to get to uh, a place beyond where you are, and the internet wasn't quite what it is now in terms of video, and, and sure. certainly social media was practically non-existent. I don't, even, I don't even think Facebook really existed when I first got into the business. And it was very tough for me to kind of 
see the inspirational pieces that I wanted to see. Did you go through that in your first job? Well, absolutely. I was completely unaware. You know, during my first job, I was completely unaware of what could be done with this job. Um, Where were you that first job, by the way? My first job was at uh, WBTW in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Okay. Um, It was a great experience. Definitely, like, set a base. Um, But when I got to WLS the first time, um, I had a a mentor named Leighton Grant, who's an amazing photographer. He's now the chief down at WBTV in uh, Charlotte. He gave me a um, MPPA BOP tape. I was like whoa, this happens? People do this? Whoa, this is definitely... BOP, by the way, meaning best of photojournalism for the non-TV listeners in our uh, in the podcast world here. <laughs> right, thank you. I forgot this isn't just you and me. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm here for. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was like, wow, I can't believe this can be done. This is certainly not what I'm doing, but I want to do this. And... Um, yeah, it wasn't until I was exposed to that DVD that that I even knew it could happen. But yeah, today, man, it's insane. It's so easy with Facebook storytellers. Um, the MPPA has the quarterly clip contest and you can watch every single winner in every single region. And it's just right there. It's right there. And the best, the very, very, very best learning tool is just watching other people's work and then picking up on little things and then go trying it yourself. What was that like in your first job for you? Not really kind of knowing what was out there yet. Did you, what, what was your mind frame at that point your mind state? Man, I was having fun. I really was, but I was a photographer trying to get shots. I wasn't a photographer capturing stories. You know what I mean? And it wasn't until I got to WLOS and had some exposure to the storytelling stuff that I realized that I was doing it all wrong. It's not about shots. It's about capturing stories and moments. So you were trying to frame up that perfect shot Mm -hmm. as opposed to capturing that perfect moment. Exactly. I was like, oh, I should do like a rack focus here. That's that's different. (laughs) Or like a pan from this building to this. You know, the mindset wasn't there yet. We had, uh, you used to work with me. Mm-hmm. I sh- we should mention that. We were coworkers for a brief period uh, when you worked at WXIA in Atlanta, where I, I am still. And uh, I remember very vividly having a great conversation with you about uh, the difference between kind of standard cuts and, and, and keeping it natural and doing things that you called manipulative. One thing you said, uh-huh. I remember we talked about rack focuses uh-huh. and you were like, no nah, man, no, nah, no, nah. that's, that's not how the eye looks at it. Right. That's not how you should be looking at it. Mm-hmm. And I, I distinctly remember music coming up mm-hmm. because I used to, I don't do it so much anymore, but I, I used to use a lot of music and I still don't mind it in the right context, but mm-hmm. boy, you looked at me when I try <laughs> to defend it. And you said something like, I, I think you said something like, music is the devil's juice or something like that. <laughs> I think, I don't know if that's an exact quote, but it was something like that. <laughs> I'll put that on the, uh, the wall by my edit bay as well. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah man, to me, it's, uh, you know, the, the biggest concept for me with storytelling is um, capturing it naturally and not creating uh, the emotion, but capturing the emotion. 
And I think with stuff like music, um, music makes you feel. Um, but I, I think our subjects should be what are making you feel. Um, we shouldn't be uh, creating it in the edit bay. If that, that's kind no. of my concept. And, and I, I certainly 1,000% understand there's exceptions to this rule and every other rule. And every story you've ever done with music, I've probably loved. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, you know... I mean, I, I know the kind of stuff you like that's not in local TV news. I mean, like you watch, uh, you know, I mean, you love cereal, right? The, uh, <laughs> I mean, not the not the breakfast food, but the podcast, of course, on NPR. I mean, you listen to cereal; they've they've got music all over the place, and I'm sure, and most NPR uh, shows do as well. Yeah, and um, I I would say if I had my choice, that that music would not be there during the heart of the story. Okay. Uh, because it does make me feel, you know, it, it creates, um, you know, there's those dark piano little ballads that kind of make you feel like, oh, okay, uh, we're going to talk about the bad guy now. But you should let me to decide who the bad guy is. Right. You know? That was my biggest thing with Serial is I, I thought it was almost insensitive in some ways. Mm-hmm. I, I felt like it was... And it was a fascinating true crime story that talked a lot about the justice system, but the way it was being presented, the vehicle for it, this serial format, mm-hmm. turned it, it, it was as if NPR was treating it like entertainment. Mm-hmm. And they kept kind of teasing it out mm-hmm. and kind of encouraging their listeners to play detective. And it seemed as fascinating as it was, that encouragement seemed insensitive to me, to the people who were actually going through this yeah they didn't seem too concerned with like they didn't seem too concerned with putting the spotlight on the justice system right they seemed interested more in getting people to play along and follow the show yeah i hear you i think that's certainly a uh an issue that's been out there what what i appreciated about it so much though was um just kind of the honesty of it like the honest journey that it took us on um you know, as Sarah Koenig was puzzled, she let us know, you know, she wasn't, you know, she wasn't pretending like she was the end all be all and she knew everything and was going to solve this. She, when, you know, when she felt like, oh, doggone it, she said, oh, doggone it. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it, it, I'm not saying it was a perfect series by any means, but um, it, it was it was a fresh take on uh, journalism and storytelling. And I thought it was very human. And, um, that's what I liked about it. Um, and I really hope that whatever, whatever the right answer to that story is, uh, comes out because of this, um, podcast and the storytelling, that would be awesome. I was almost a little surprised that there was no real resolution to it because I honestly thought that, well, for sure, if she's encouraging us to play detective and kind of right. be on this journey with her that she wasn't just going to leave it high and dry at the end. Right. Which, you know, and, and again, I, I think I was surprised and a little disappointed with the fact that it, the, the podcast and its popularity wound up weaving into its own story. Yeah. I think I would have, but again, that's the... it almost non-serial in a way, but that's the honesty. That's the humanism. That's, you know, that was the real stuff that was happening, you know? Right, right. Um, you've uh, you've done a lot of stories that have been features, but you also do a lot of investigative work now, mm-hmm. right? Are mm-hmm. you 
do you find yourself doing more of the of the fancy stuff in investigative pieces? Because typically, when you watch investigative pieces, mm-hmm. it's very you know flashy edits, right. And graphics and all sorts of things really really sizzled up. Mm-hmm. Do you do a lot of that, or do you keep it pretty natural? Dude, I'm not good at that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that is a completely right. different skill set. Um, I I have like fiddled with that stuff a little bit more. Um, but I still, man, I still try to keep true to my, um, you know, my ideals of, of storytelling, um, with the investigative stuff. Um, I have used some music though. I can't, uh, I can't lie. The devil's juice. <laughs> I bumped the devil's juice up in there a little bit, but, uh, I would say very, still very, very sparingly, um, so, yeah, I mean, again, I, I just try to uh, kind of keep it real to my um, my ethics and my beliefs. No matter this what kind of telling the, I'm doing. Absolutely. Yeah. This is the Telling the Story podcast. I'm Matt Pearl. He is John Kirtley, assistant chief photojournalist at WLOS-TV and a good enough guy that without a solid Skype connection at home, he is currently sitting, I don't, on a street corner, a parking lot. Where are you right now, John? Man, I'm on Haywood Road. Uh, it's just a street. <laughs> it's just a street with some businesses and houses. Um, lots of cars going by. There's some people walking their dogs. That's pretty cool. Um, you know, that's you're in I the am. car. You're not driving. No, though, so you're right. not I've, podcasting I've over, while driving. Um, you uh, take in a lot of different kinds of storytelling. I know you obviously produce a lot as a photojournalist, and you do a lot of local TV news, long form. But I know. Obviously, you listen to podcasts, you watch a lot of kind of docudramas on MSNBC. Mm-hmm. Where do you feel like the best storytelling can be found in 2015? Man, it's all about the podcasts. Really? Dude, I keep discovering stuff left and right that is blowing my mind. There's one I'm really into right now called Love and Radio. And okay. it's, it's, it's like um, This American Life. Is that what it's called? This American Life is the big one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Kind of the, Sorry, the, that, the white whale of yeah, podcasting. Sounded, yeah, yeah. Sorry, that sounded uh, funny for some reason coming out of my mouth. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's like that, but like way weirder. Like as an example, uh, they tell the story of uh, this guy was training for the Olympics, but was also robbing banks at the same time. Um, oh, boy. There's kind of some less PC ones as well. <laughs> it's, it's really fascinating. But there's some amazing... Uh, there's some amazing storytelling going on in the podcast world right now. All right, quick. Give me three podcasts that anyone who craves good storytelling should listen to or put on their favorites right now. Love and Radio, hands down, is number one. Uh, there's one called Criminal, which is great. Um, and uh, The Finsiders, which is a podcast about the Miami Dolphins. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Really? <laughs> yeah. No, I do listen to that, but uh, that's not storytelling. That was a joke. No, uh, I, it is, but not in the kind that we're probably referring to. Um, yeah, and uh, let's see. Uh, there's a new one that NPR is doing now called Invisibilia, which yes. uh, I just uh, heard an episode of that the other day, and I've had some friends telling me how good it is. So I'm looking forward I to getting listened, into that. I just listened today to the the not that one. But the podcast of This American Life that they're that they did right. uh, about the Batman, the blind man who rides a bike, 
oh. uh, and uses echo. Uh, I forget what it's called, but he basically uses clicks, stuff oh. like that, to figure out where he is. Oh wow! And it was it was a fascinating hour of radio yeah. for sure. Huh? Awesome. Yeah. Very good stuff. Yeah. It's interesting when when I think of podcasts, I really most of the ones that I listen to are more. Well, they're kind of like this one, actually, in, mm-hmm. in that they're more straight-up interview or they're more kind of a free-form thing, mm-hmm. which seems to be what a lot of people have gravitated towards in terms of the podcast realm. But then there's also that storytelling mm-hmm. uh, genre, and NPR really seems to kind of have a monopoly on it. But yeah. there has been a big response to that. Serial, obviously, was right. a huge example of that. Right. Yeah, that's... Uh... I mean, I've always been into podcasts a little bit, but Serial, like, really um, expanded my horizons as far as me, like, researching other stuff out there um, mm. to give me that fix <laughs> Yeah. once I listen to Serial all the way through three times. Do you, <laughs> do, you follow, uh, do you follow any kind of print storytelling at all, or are you strictly an AV guy? Um, I mean, I, 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 I certainly read the newspaper and all of our blogs locally um i'm not sure i have any any sweet secrets like that yeah um you know i read your blog every once in a while (laughs) that's good i appreciate that john uh as we kind of uh wrap it up a little bit here i i wanted to kind of talk just about your journey as a photojournalist and and what it's been like you've worked in a variety of markets yeah man uh asheville twice atlanta portland um what am i missing uh Raleigh, Raleigh, and Myrtle Beach. Myrtle Beach. So you pretty much stayed in the Carolinas, but for a few stops. But you have gone from station to station. Is yeah. it what? What? When you got into the industry, is it this what you kind of for for saw yourself doing? Or no? man, my career has been so crazy. Um, I wouldn't suggest moving around as much as I have, but I certainly don't regret anything I've done. Um, you know, it's a constant battle for any storyteller. Sure. Is that transience. Right. Right. Um, you know, and there's pros and cons with it, obviously. Um, I looking back at earlier in my career, I, there's some moves I wish, you know, maybe I'd been a little more educated, um, before I made, made those moves. Um, but you know, my suggestion is is find a place you like and um, get everything you can out of that place. And, you know, if that's it takes six months, then, you know, start looking for a place to uh, challenge yourself a little more. Um, if that is your entire career, that's awesome. You know, um, I'm at, back at WLS here in Asheville. And, uh, you know, it, it after moving around so much, um, it really feels like the right fit for me. It's where I can, um, really flourish. And, um, of course love living in Asheville. Um, that's not to take away from any of my other moves. I loved things about every other move I've ever made and I would not regret it. I mean, I got to live in Portland, Oregon. I'm from like a tiny town in North Carolina, you know, I got to go, (laughs) you know, I know the Northwest like the back of my hand now. And, you know, without this career that may not have happened. You um, you kind of reflect, I think, what a lot of photojournalists, what a lot of reporters go through as they hit their 30s, so to speak, which is, you know, I, I moved around a lot, and now I kind of have to decide, do I want to keep moving around or do I want to plant 
roots. And mm-hmm. that can be a very, especially for people who are as talented as you, that can be a very challenging thing to, you know, like we talked about as young journalists trying to kind of keep pushing yourself and, and find inspiration. I think it becomes just as challenging when you hit that next stage of your career and you've decided, well, this might be where I stay mm-hmm. for a decade or three. Right. It's kind of scary and exciting. Just like, <laughs> just like moving, just like moving, staying is uh, scary and exciting. Do you feel, do you, have you tried to find ways to kind of keep pushing yourself or is it as simple as just watching work that other people do and holding well, yourself to that standard? Absolutely, man. Um, you know, I try to make it not just about me. Um, I try to uh, find challenges to help our entire newsroom and, you know, our photography staff. And, uh, you know, recently I was, you know, I got this new position of assistant chief photojournalist and I'm really excited about, uh, the opportunity to, um, you know, take our staff to the next level. Um, hopefully make the storytelling concept infectious throughout the entire newsroom. Um, so yeah, there, there's new challenges all the time. If you get complacent, I mean, that's kind of on you, I think. And taking a, a position of semi-management, I think, being mm-hmm. an assistant chief photojournalist, like you said, now you're, you've got a little more responsibility for staff. And typically with journalists, most journalists have no interest in taking any kind of management <laughs> role. Mm-hmm. To do that, was that a way for you to kind of expand your own role? Was there a reason beyond that? Or was it as simple as this is an opportunity in front of me and I'm going to grab it? Yeah. Well, here's my thing, man. Like, I love just talking about this stuff and you know, why not, why not you, why not use that to better the entire staff? You know, like I hate to say it's an obsession, but you know, I, I, I think about shooting and editing and storytelling all the time and I'm always having conversations and uh, trying to make suggestions and, you know, now it's just kind of official, you know, mm. now it's my job to do that. Very cool. Yeah. Well, John, uh, that's all the questions that I had, but I always like to end with that famous reporter's question. Is there anything we haven't touched on that you wanted to add? Yeah. Uh, nah, man, I can't think of anything. I really appreciate <laughs> You're sitting on the side of the road. I mean, this is, this is unprecedented. <laughs> About to go see Hannibal Burris. <laughs> uh, going to see Hannibal Burris tonight, and, uh, and yet you have made the time for this. I appreciate it. John, uh, keep doing the great work you're doing, and thanks so much for joining me on the Telling the Story podcast. Dude, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate everything you do for this business, man. The Telling the Story blog updates every Monday and web Wednesday. The website is tellingthestoryblog.com. Rate and review this podcast on iTunes. And thanks for listening to this episode of the Telling the Story podcast. We'll see you next time.